So as we get into this Bible study tonight, the first thing that, you know, I really want to kind of tackle is um, what should the church look like? What should the church look like? Um, should it look like a crystal cathedral? Uh, should it look like a barn? Should it look like somebody's garage? What should it look like? Well, I'm not necessarily talking about physical appearances because a church can exist in any environment. Hello? A church can exist in a prison. A church can exist in a hospital. Church can exist in a crystal cathedral or can exist right here or at your home. A, a church is not bound by its physical uh, place. You can have church on the beach or church in the forest for that matter. So whenever we're looking at what should a church look like, we're not necessarily looking at its physical appearance because physical appearance is, is important to God in some aspects, but as far as the church goes, it's not. As far as the church goes, it's not. Now, one of the things that's pretty convicting, um, one of the greatest ministers in America that's ever lived is a guy named Robert Murray McShane. And he actually, you know, he came up with a Bible reading plan, the, the Robert Murray McShane reading plan. Um, but he died at an early age. He spent his life for the gospel. But one of the things that he said uh, is very convicting. He said, are you, living, are you living in a plain enough manner that you can give all that you can to the kingdom? And that's a very convicting thought, personally that we should live as plain as possible so that we can give more to the kingdom. But it's also convicting when you think about a church setting. Come on. Does a church need gold floors? You know, could we, could we get bronze and then, then give a little bit more to missions? You understand what I'm saying? So there's, you know, if we've always got to have the top of the line and everything in the church it shows that we're trying to build a building and not a kingdom. It's not, it's, but it's not, it's not to say that we shouldn't have a building. And here's the thing about having a building. If you have a building, you ought to take care of it because it's God's. God gave it, and you're a steward over it. And if you're not faithful in little, you won't be faithful in much. So, you know, if, if, if we let the building run down, God's never going to bless the ministry right? But if we take care of the little that we have now, and you can apply this in your own life. You know, if, if, if we say, well, this is all I have, but you don't take care of it. You neglect it instead of nurture it. God's not going to bless that over and over. God blesses those who give, even if it's just two mites. And I'm not talking about your pocketbooks tonight. I'm talking about how you look at things, right? So when we're looking at a church building, God's not so impressed by the beauty of the physical nature of it, but we can go to an extreme and pour all of our money into the physical makeup of it and miss what God has. What good would it do if we spent all of our money putting gold plates on the walls and the floors when in the neighborhood around us people were starving and cold and didn't have blankets and we didn't help them. You see what I'm saying? We're, we're, we would be missing the purpose of the church. And on the other hand, the church is not existing just to be a humanitarian aid, relief. 
You know, if we give somebody a bottle of water, that's great. But if we do it when we're giving them the gospel, now we're getting kingdom-minded. You see? Anybody can give anybody a glass of water. But when we do it and give them the gospel at the same time, that's different. You know, if, if a church decides to do a humanitarian project, let's say we decide to, um, we're going to make sure every kid in Shreveport and Bossier has shoes, backpacks, uh, brand new clothes, and video games. And we just do all that, but we don't tell them who we are. We don't tell them the gospel. We're just doing it for humanitarian reasons. That's a work of the flesh, right? Because it's a, you know, the Bible calls it a sounding gong, clanging cymbals in 1 Corinthians 13 or 14. You know, 13. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When whatever we do, we should do it in a way that we can reach others. So everything that we do should be in a manner to reach others with the gospel. So even when we do our building, we should do it in a way that reaches others. So we don't have to invest all that we have in a building because we're too busy trying to get the message out the doors. Out the doors. This is, um, you know, what happened in America the last, I don't know, 30 years or so. It, it got really warped. Everybody kept the message of the gospel inside. Everybody thinks the church is just what happens in the four walls. And we're supposed to live in a way that we get filled up in here and we push out the doors and we bring hope to those that are hopeless. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And that's where we're called to do. So our all in all is not to invest in the physical nature of a building but it's to invest in the kingdom. But like I said, it's not to neglect the building either. Are you with me on that? Now, um, and I know that we've all seen gross excess on both extremes. Uh, I've seen people neglect the house of God and expect God to bless their ministry. How many of y'all seen that? And I've also seen people neglect the ministry because they're too busy building a, 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 a building. Amen. So, you know, the, the ministries that are always, um, you know, we got a new building, we got a new building, we got a new building, we got a new building. You're done giving with that? We got a new building, we got a new building. You know, that shows what their heart is after. But when we are kingdom-minded, we do both at the same time, right? Both at the same time. So with that said, you know, we're examining the purpose of the church. What does the church look like? Um... Let's, let's think about it this way. Let's think about it this way. In first, in, let's go to Titus chapter 1. Let me, let me show you something here in Titus chapter 1. Of the, one, of the, um, one of the things, one of the areas where the church is having a crisis in some denominations is in the, in the church being div divided. A church can be divided along political lines. A church can be divided along racial lines. Church can be divided along uh, doctrinal lines. Um, and when we have division in the church over non-essential matters, it shows that we're carnal according to the Apostle Paul. When we've got all these divisions inside the church, we're carnal whether they be racial, political, or whatever, small doctrinal matters. 
Um, for example, if we have a if we have somebody in the church that, um, and we've had this before, and it's okay. If you have somebody in the church that doesn't believe in the rapture, that's fine. That's not essential doctrine. They're just going to be surprised one day when they get taken up. That'll be a blessing. But I'm not going to split company with somebody because they don't believe something about the end times because it's prophetic. It's prophetic. The, the essential part of it is that you believe Jesus is coming. That's the essential part. When is different matter. We can argue about that. In the house, but remain united in purpose. So one of the, one of the callings that we're going to have in this um, upcoming year is something called One Church. One church, one mission, and one Lord. One church, one mission, one Lord. That's what we're going to be about. And, you know, it, a lot of churches don't have what we have in our congregation. A lot of churches are divided racially. A lot of churches won't let members of the other race in their church. I remember one time, you know, I went, I lived in New Orleans for a while. And um, this is whenever I was single. And I, I, I looked up every single church I could find. If they were having church on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I was going to be there. I went to church every night. I could find one open. Even Saturday night, I went to church. Well, one of the churches that I found on Thursday night was an all-black church. And I was the only white guy in there. But you know what? They made me feel like I was part of the family because I am part of the family. <laughs> you know, I am part of the family. But do you know, and I didn't realize that there's this much division, but it, there really is a lot of division in the church over even racial issues. And it ought not be that way. Um, but in some denominations, they're having all-in-all -all civil war right now. All-in-all -all civil war. Um, some denominations are getting split at the seam for multiple reasons. Um, how many of y'all have heard of social justice? Social justice? Um, social justice is a uh, mindset. Okay, here's, here's the thing. Some churches have a problem being divided racially. All it shows is that they're carnal, right? It just shows that they're, they're not where they need to be. But people go to the extreme, and they're called social justice warriors. And they try to force people by guilt, right, in order to reconstruct their churches. Part of the problem is churches are location-centric. So a church is going to be in a neighborhood, like our church is in South Bossier. Well, if South Bozier was predominantly Hispanic, we couldn't really change the fact that our church was predominantly Hispanic. You see what I'm saying? Where a church is located is going to, is, is going to um, affect who comes in it. But do you think it matters to God who comes in it? Do you think it matters to God? Even one iota? Not even one iota, does it? Because what is God after? God's after souls. God's after souls. It doesn't matter what the, the, the tone of somebody's skin is. Not to God. Because it says that, that Jesus, um, Jesus died for the world. That whosoever, whosoever includes all people from all tribes, all tongues, and all skin colors. So the church should reflect that. The church should reflect that. But if it, 
if, if it just lines up locationally that it doesn't, well, that's okay. Well, it's kind of like, um, you know, whenever, whenever we were on our mission trip in Haiti, guess who the only, you know, people with this color skin was, <laughs> you know, but it didn't affect anything and they welcomed us in. It was no big deal. We made no big deal about it because there's no big deal, right? But that church, if the social justice warriors had their way, that church would feel guilty because there was nobody else like me in there, which is crazy because the church is location-centric. It's, it's, um, so when we're talking about what does a church look like, it should reflect the location of it. A church should reflect its location. So God's not looking for gold walls. He's looking for open doors. He's looking for open doors, not gold walls. Are you with me? So when we're talking about what does a church look like, a church should reflect its community that it's in. Right? We're, we're in northwest Louisiana, which is a smorgasbord of everybody. Well, America is that way. America is a little bit of everything. And churches in America should reflect the same thing. You with me? Anybody ever experienced opposition to that? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. That's very good. That's very good. Um, you know, one of my uh, one of my favorite guys is a um, a guy named F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth, and he wrote a book called Christ the Healer. And I liked it so much that I began researching this guy because, well, I'm just that way. If if you know, whenever I like somebody's message or hear somebody. Uh, on worship or whatever, I research the individual because I want to know where they're coming from, you know? I don't trust, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Whenever somebody says, hey, read this book, I'm going to research the person before I read the book. I'm that kind of a person. But anyways, this guy, F.F. Bosworth, great book, Christ the Healer, but I'm researching this guy and I'm looking at, well, I come across his diary. Um, and in his diary, he was an evangelist back in the... Uh, early 1900s. He was actually one of the founders of the Assemblies of God, okay? He's actually one of the founders, and he left it. He left the Assemblies because of the, some of the doctrinal issues that, that arose. But anyways, this guy, um, back in the day, whenever they were founding the, the Assemblies of God, he was a traveling evangelist, and so he would go and he would preach the gospel, and then people would come up, and they would get saved, and they would get the Holy Ghost, and they would get healed in their body. And uh, anyways, he would, you know, go on the train and go from town to town all over the place. And one town he came to, you know, America was divided majorly racially back then. One town he came to, he gets off the train station and some people from uh, the black community come to him. And they said, um, we heard about you and we want you to come preach um, a revival for us. And he said, when I'm done preaching here, I'll come over there. And some of the guys at the revival he was at t threatened him and said, if you go over there, you'll never come back. And anyways, he ended up preaching the revival and everything. And after the revival was over, he went to walking and he walked past the train station and he was going on the other tra side of the train tracks. 
and a bunch of the white guys from the revival he just got done preaching at caught him and beat him, beat him bad, left him for dead. And those guys came and ministered to him and helped him and said, it's okay, you know, thank you for even trying. He said, no, 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 I still got my voice. Pick me up. I'm coming to preach. And, and they drug him over there to their church. And he preached, and God moved in a powerful way. God saved many and filled many with the Holy Spirit and, and healed their bodies. And then he asked them to help him get back on the train, and they helped him get back on the train, and he left. And, you know, to me, that endeared me to that guy because he was kingdom-minded. And to him, he said it didn't matter what somebody looked like, anything like that. And, and he wrote this in his diary because he, he was writing a letter to his mother to tell her what all happened. But, he, you know, on his, when he got on the train and he was leaving town, he was praising God, praising God that he was able to suffer for the gospel's sake. And if that happened to anybody, if that happened to any of us, we would be, you know, thinking we were out of God's will. We had done something wrong, Right. Here I am, I, you know, I, I wasted a year of my life. I come out all the way out here to preach the gospel, and they beat me. I guess this just is, isn't for me. This guy had the complete opposite mentality. He said, praise God, you counted me worthy to suffer for the gospel's sake. Think about how many saints, disciples, apostles, Martyrs for Christ have suffered for the gospel's sake. But us in our generation, when we get an inch away from suffering for Jesus, whoa, whoa, no, no. In our day and age, we consider suffering when we get made fun of. Wow. Wow. <laughs> But, you know, th those are people cut from a different rug than today. Those people are cut from a different rug than today. F.F. Bosworth. Yep, F.F. Bosworth. Like the football player from Oklahoma, Brian Bosworth. That's F.F. Bosworth. <laughs> Man. Amen. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yes. And in all things to give thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. And you touched on something. Um, you know, one of my friends that came here, um, uh, Patrick Hawthorne, he touched on that same issue when he came because he said God had been dealing with him about being inconvenienced. And that's a big thing is are we willing to be inconvenienced for God? And that's a question that I would submit the majority of people in churches are unwilling to be inconvenienced. Think about it, right? Some people can't be inconvenienced enough to come to church on Sunday morning, <laughs> you know? But, you know, but if, you know, we got to go to work at 8 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, we're going to go. But we treat the house of God like it's an inconvenience. I'll only come if I wake up in time, already have my coffee, get my breakfast. It's just if I can fit it into my ease of comfort. Ease of comfort. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, you really did. The, um, 
and it's a generational problem and it's getting worse it's getting worse that you know that's one of the the bad problems that we have in our nation is people are unwilling to be like you said discomfort discomforted and you know if somebody can't fit it in their day already i mean you're just they're not going to do it where you know just one generation ago it was unheard of for somebody to not go to church today it's well if i you know i don't know if i can get up in time i I stayed i stayed up last night or i did this i did that whatever okay we all we all got our priorities you know everybody's got a priority yes exactly i you know i heard one parent correcting their children you know their children were acting up and they said you know if if you don't start acting right i'm gonna take you to church on sunday I mean, I about I was about choked on my food when I heard that. Uh, if you don't act right, I'm going to take you to church on something. You know, if you took them to church, they might start acting right. But church shouldn't be looked at as a punishment for bad behavior. I mean, what does that tell the child? It's kind of like, if you don't act right, I'm going to take you to the whipping post, you know? Okay, I don't want to go there. But if you if if church is a punishment for a child, they're always going to look at church as you know, place they don't want to go. And, you know, the, the decline in this generation's appreciation for the house of God is absurd. It is absurd. So what does a church look like? It should reflect the, the community, right? It should reflect the community regardless of any, anything other than whether they're a believer or not. That's the dividing line. That's, is that right? That's the dividing line, whether they're a believer or not. It doesn't matter on secondary issues. Secondary issues, we can split company inside the walls of the church and remain family. It's kind of like, now I know it's getting worse by the day, but it's kind of like, you know, at, at holidays, Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, you may have people that completely look at politics in a completely different way, but that doesn't mean they're still not your family, Right? I know on Facebook it's getting worse because people unfriend their family members over politics and stuff. But but if you look at it in a sane way, we're still family, whether we agree on politics or not, because it doesn't separate us. And so as the church, if we agree on the essential matters of doctrine and faith, we're family. We're family. So we can disagree on the timing of the second coming. We can disagree on the rapture. We can disagree on some of the things that we're going to get into tonight. We can disagree on some of those things. We're going to get into a few things right now. We can disagree on them. It's secondary, okay? These are secondary issues. It's not essential. But when you're talking about how a church should operate, it's important. Because we should operate as biblically based as possible. We should try our best to do everything as biblical as possible, as godly as possible, so that we can be a, a reflecting light for this dark world. And, you know, in our day and in our age, church is looked at in a completely different way. Today, churches in most areas are looked at as theatrical productions. Um, entertainment places. They, you want it quick, you want it painless, and you want it fun. 
But that's not what church was designed to do. Church was not designed to be quick, painless, and fun. Church was designed to give you what you needed according to the word of God for doctrine, for reproof, right, and for correction. There's times that I need edification. There's some Sundays that I feel down and I get to go to the house of the Lord and I'm picked up, you know, and there's other times, you know, I don't see my blind spot, but the Lord ministers in a way that brings reproof into my life to help me walk a little bit straighter and a little bit narrower and a little bit more pleasing in his eyes. There's other times that I may not um, understand exactly how to pray. I may not ex understand exactly how to study the word. And he brings correction into my life so that I can pray better, more effective. Most people don't know how to pray. Most people don't know how to study the word. Most people don't know how to share the gospel. Most people don't even know how to, you know, live for God. Most people are too busy living for themselves to even think about those types of things. So that's why it's so important to understand these things. You with me? All right. Well, um, look, did I tell you to go to Titus chapter 1? Okay, let's look here. In Titus chapter 1, I want to show you something that Paul said. Um, look at verse 4. He said, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. You see that? That's the, the common faith. That's, that is the essentials, is what he's talking about, the essentials. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior, for this cause, I left thee in Crete. Now, he's going to tell you why he left Titus behind. That thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And I'm going to stop right there. This was a habit of Paul's. Paul would raise up Timothy's and Titus's all over the place, and he would set them in a community, Crete here, and he set them up so that they could set the church in order. See, back then, they didn't have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, and 4th Baptist churches all over the place. This was when the church was in its infancy, and this was the first church in this community in Crete. And Paul was setting Titus in there to set the house of God in order because God is a God of order. God loves order confusion is from the devil and so Paul had set the church up he was the apostle of the Gentiles and he set the church so that they would know how to operate and there's certain things that we're going to look at we're going to look at who should be in leadership what their quality should be what things we should do in church services um and and you know those types of things so in, in starting in this, let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14 real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I just want to tie this together. Look at verse number 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 33. It says, God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all all churches of the saints so in all churches god god desires there not be any confusion if there's mass chaos in a church god does not authorize that god does not approve of it and god does not desire it in all churches of the saints that means 
any place there's a, a group of people that meet together, it could be in your living room. Now, I'm speaking into this thing called house churches or home churches. A lot of, a lot of people say, well, I don't go to those buildings anymore. Well, wherever two or more are gathered in his name, whether it's in a home or a building that people rent or wherever, could be in a field, there should be order. Do you see that? God's desire, just like with Titus, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm putting you here so that you can set things in order in the church. Here, Paul's saying, you know, that there's no confusion in the church, in the churches of the saints. No confusion. Now look at the last verse. Look at verse number 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, if somebody has a church in their home, that's fine. But it, there should be order to the service. Right? There should not be confusion. There should be order. Now, when we get into this part of it, it's the same way in, say, our church. There shouldn't be confusion about what's going on, okay? Whenever anything happens inside the church, it should be done in God's order. One of the, here's, here's, a, um, here's something I just want you to think about. Here's something I want you to think about. Um, fruit of the Spirit. If God's doing something, do you think that it will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in it? Huh? Do you think that God will do something and the fruit of the Spirit will not be visible? In a church. What is the fruit of the Spirit? No, no, no. What, what, what is it? it, it's, it's, it is a, it's a product of your relationship with God, right? It's a product of your, according to John chapter 15, the fruit of the Spirit is a product of your abiding in Christ. If you're abiding in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit will be pr produced through you. Okay? Right? So if the Holy Spirit is doing something in a church service, the fruit of the Spirit should be behind it. Let's look at those first ones. Love, joy, and peace, right? So if the Holy Spirit's present, should there be hate, bitterness, and confusion? You see what I'm saying? And we just read about confusion, right? Confusion's not of God. So whenever God does something, he's going to do it in order, and it's going to be a byproduct of the fruit of the Spirit. Are you with me so far? Everybody understand? If God's going to do something, it's going to be according to his word, in order, and it's going to be associated with the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you know the Holy Spirit's been somewhere. If I tell you that the Holy Spirit has filled me, overflowing, and I'm just gifted and anointed, but you find me, you know, running around on my wife, abandoning my kids, not paying my bills, drunk on the street corner. It's not the Holy Spirit that I'm full of. Because the fruit of the Spirit's not evident there, right? If the Holy Spirit's doing a work in somebody's life, you're going to see it 
by the fruit of the Spirit. That's the evidence that the Holy Spirit's doing a work. Well, here's one that I want to throw into you according to the Word of God. Fruit of the Spirit, one of them is self-control. Self-control, right? Self-control. So if the Holy Spirit's doing a work and you're not in control, is there a problem? Right? Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I just couldn't help myself? You know how many times I've, I've talked to somebody and they've, you know, cheated on a spouse or something, and they said, I just couldn't help myself. Well, that's not self-control, is it? That's not self-control. That, that, sh- that shows you that they're not operating in the Spirit of God when there is a lack of self-control. A church service is the same way. A church service should, um, those fruits of the Spirit should be manifest in the church, in the church. You with me? Self-control being one of those. Um, so in, 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 in anything that we do, we're looking, for, we're looking for unity, we're looking for order, we're looking for peace, and we're looking for the fruit of the Spirit. And if somebody has a church, no matter whether it's here or in their home or in a barn or a pasture, those things should be evident in it. Some people, if, if the people that were in uh, Jonestown had known what I just told you, do you think they'd still be there? Not if they believed it, right? What about Waco? Y'all remember the Branch Davidians? Okay, fruit of the Spirit, right? Self-control. Uh, you know, all these things. Fruit of the Spirit. But yet, these people in, that were in... Uh, the Branch Davidians in Waco, you know, they were, they were doing things inside their church service that were ungodly, that R-rated movies wouldn't even show. The, the guy, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the guy had um, Bible studies. Every Bible study was out of Revelation. It was 13 hours long to the minute. Not 13 hours and one second. Not 12 hours and 50 minutes. 13-hour Bible studies in Revelation every time. He was teaching them that he was an angel, okay? And he, he did some gross things. He separated husbands from wives, separated mothers from children. He would have the women not dressed at all in the church service, and he would beat them in the church service. So this is why I'm telling you that the fruit of the Spirit, if something's of God, it's going to be done decently, peacefully, in order, and the fruit of the Spirit is going to be visible. This lets you know when something gets out of order, when the fruit of the Spirit's not seen, when people are being abused, neglected, when the Word of God's being trampled, and when when people are doing things that cause fear, and confusion, and all kinds of things. Think about what's going on in a family when a wife and a husband are separated and she has to disrobe in front of the whole congregation and get beaten. What, what happened, you know, these are the types of things, and he did worse. I'm, I'm telling you the G-rated version of what he did. 
it's it's absurd. And do you know, just as a as a as a byproduct, do you know that every single one of the people that were involved in that were former Seventh day Adventists? Every single one of them. You 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 know the hallmark of Seventh day Adventism is the law. So what it shows is somebody who had a background of the law, when they got around the wrong person, that person used the law against them to abuse them. And, you know, and we're in here tonight, and I'm telling you, you know, you have a church service, it should be done peacefully, in order, the fruit of the Spirit should be visible, and you're going, yeah. But look, I'm telling you, these people like in Jonestown, these people that were Branch Davidians, if they would have known that, it might have saved their lives. And knowing what, knowing these things will keep you from following somebody off a cliff as well. Because you don't, like I said, I say all the, you know, I don't say this all the time, but, you know, I could have a heart attack this week. You could get a new pastor this coming Sunday. You need to be grounded in the word of God. You need to know what a church is. You need to know what, what is of God and not so that somebody doesn't lead you off a cliff. And you don't know. I could go crazy tomorrow. I could start teaching in error. And you need to be able to hold my feet to the fire according to the word of God. And so that's why it's so important so that you know when somebody's beginning to lead you in error. I've, I've showed you, right? And Paul told Timothy, you set things in order. There's no confusion. It's peaceful. Everything should be done decently, in order. Fruit of the Spirit should be visible in all that a church does. Okay? Self-control being a huge one in churches. Huge one in churches. And I'm, I'm, I'm scratching the surface here. Scratching the surface here. Because people build ministries off of what I'm telling you right now. Because the, the self-control is so lacking in the church today. You, you, some people take over a church service. Some people do things at altars in the name of God, and it's not of God. D don't forget that, you know, the devil it masquerades as an angel of light, and he masquerades as a minister. And just as, I sh just as I'm giving you an example right now of, of the guy in Waco, I forget his name, but this crazy guy in Waco, there... There's other crazy people out there behind pulpits. There's other crazy people out there, not only behind pulpits, but in homes teaching a home Bible study. So when, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, things have to be done in decently and in order. You see the importance of that? Not only because God said so, but you can see, the, you can see this, how it can go bad quick. How it can go bad quick. And those poor people in Waco, you know, whenever the government came in and everything started going down, this guy had, you know, told him, told him, told him, told him, I'm an angel and the world's going to come against us. They thought the apocalypse was happening. But they were dying because this guy was crazy. It's sad. It's sad how people can mean so well. People can mean so well, but when you're ignorant of the word of God, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Ignorant just means you don't know any better. It means you're not taught yet. And that, that, that bone gets thrown at the pulpits in America. 
because in America, in the pulpits, rightly dividing the word of truth is not taught anymore. People aren't taught the truth of the word of God, and so the people perish. Isn't that why God said his people perish? They perish for a lack of what? God said his people perish for a lack of knowledge. And so that's why, look, you're here for a purpose. You're not here because we're giving you Hershey bars. The Spirit of God's drawing you here. I know I go along sometimes. I know our worship don't have, you know, we don't have guitars yet and drums yet. You're here because the Spirit's drawing you here because there's something that God's feeding you here. And God is giving you some meat in your spirit. God's giving you some meat in your spirit. And it is so important that you understand that this knowledge is not just for you, but for you to share with others. This lack of knowledge that is eating away at God's people all throughout America is because we, we want those sugar-coated sermons we miss the meat and potatoes. You're here. The Spirit's drawing you, and it's so important for you to share this truth with others in your neighborhood, in your home, in your, you know, your coworkers, Facebook, wherever you, you go, because these things are, is, you know, and, it, and I'm not even saying, you know, bring them in here so we can teach them here. I'm just saying wherever they are, teach them these things because people need to know. We don't need anybody getting let off those cliffs anymore. Um, people use the Bible sometimes for ungodly purposes. And it's naive if you think otherwise. Right? Jonestown and, and Wake. Right. That's right. That's very good. But, you know, when, once you get into deception, it's really hard. Um, once you allow yourself to become deceived, it's, it's really hard to get the eyes opened. And that's why I always tell people, when God starts opening your eyes, you go with it. Because you don't want to go back. If God starts opening your eyes and you turn back the other way, you might be twice as blind as before. It's very important when God starts revealing truth and opening your eyes that you go with God because he's pulling you out of something. I've, I've often heard this, you know, God, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're in a church that a, a, could be a false teacher in the church or whatever, but if the word of God's present, you know, you could get saved. And if you're truly saved, God will pull you out of those environments at some point. It, 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 you'll, you'll be drawn out of it because you, there's something that's just not right in your spirit about it. God will do that because God has an order. God's a God of order. And so God wants everything to go according to his word. Um, but, yeah, you, that's exactly right. And one of the things, um, you know, along the lines of what you were talking about, Sister Pat, is that when these people begin to deceive others, what they do, here's the number one way somebody's going to deceive somebody with the word of God. They're going to redefine the words. It sounds simple, right? It sounds too simple. But when somebody tells you, well, that's not what it, that's not what it said in the original. I know that's what it says right there, but that's not what it means. That's not what it truly says, you, you know, or there's another book that you don't know of. It's the book of, you know, this, that, or the other, the book of Jasher, the book of this, that, Enoch, and, and, and begin to interpret the Bible through a book that's not even holy. And so, you know, in, in redefining things, or even, um, a, a, how, how many of y'all have heard of gematria before? 
the study of numbers, where numbers have meaning, right? Okay, you know, in a way they do, but it, once you start redefining the word by it, it, it becomes gematria. It's ungodly. This is, uh, this is what fortune tellers and things like that do, okay? Because you can look at numbers and say, okay, the number five, anytime you see the number five, it's associated with grace. Nine is associated with God's judgment. Um, seven is perfection. Eight is new beginnings. But that doesn't mean that every time you see the word eight in the Bible, that it's a new beginning of something. And once you get that far and you start reinterpreting the Bible through numbers, you're going to get in left field. See, that's how people can twist the word of God. Um, and like I said, in redefining words. I know it says, um, you know, law, but that's not what it means. This is what it really means. That's when you start getting into dangerous territory. Um, so, yeah, you're exactly right. These, these people will, will do that. How many of y'all have seen people use numbers or redefine things before? A couple of y'all. Yeah, amen. Um, let me just take you real quick because I want to I open this up, and then we're going to get into it next week. So go to, um, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. We're going to touch on this and close. I know y'all all got cooking to do tonight. Okay, what we're going to get into, uh, we're going to scratch the surface tonight, right now, but next week we'll get in it. There's three officers for every church, okay? There's three officers, according to the Word of God. There's going to be bishop, elder, and deacon, okay? Those three officers. Now, there's other giftings involved. There's other giftings involved. Um, or officers, I guess you could say, offices. But as far as leadership positions in a church, you've got bishop, elder, and deacon. And we're going to scratch the surface on bishop right now. Look in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Okay, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work, not a good retirement. Um, bishop... <laughs> Let me, let me uh, just share this with you. Bishop is, is what is in today's vernacular pastor or preacher, okay? A bishop is an overseer, an overseer, an overseer of God's flock in that community. So a bishop, there's um, many variations of the word bishop, bishopric, um, but it, it in today's at presbyter, that's how it's said in Latin. But in our vernacular, we, we call the bishop the pastor, okay? So the, we actually kind of mix it up because pastoring is actually a gift, okay? It's actually a gift. To be able to pastor somebody is a gift. But as far as the order of a church goes, the person that's the overseer of the church is biblically called bishop. Okay, but we don't use those kind of titles here, not in our day. But anyways, look what it says, and, and we're just going to go briefly through this. But here, li listen to this, though. Didn't we read that everything should be done decently and in order, right? No confusion. So if a church exists and there's no overseer, is it in order? Huh? If a church exists but there's no overseer, 
is it in order? Has to have a pastor. Has to have a pastor. Has to have elders. Has to have deacons. Sometimes those roles are fulfilled by more than one person. Or one person may fulfill multiple roles. Once you get into deacon and elder, it, they can kind of blend. So does bishop. But look, if somebody has a quote-unquote home church, pasture church, barn church, or building church, there still should be an overseer if things are done according to God's word and done God's way. That means that in any home Bible study or anything like that, that person who's the overseer should meet the qualifications that we're about to read. So it's okay if there's 900 home churches in our community, but do they all have bishops according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? So that, that right there will tell you whether somebody's of God or not because if somebody, if somebody rebels against the word of God in God's order, they're going to rebel against God's word in other things too. Okay? So let's look at this real quick. We're going to go to verse number uh, 7 and we'll quit. And we will we'll divulge into this later. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house uh, well, ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So these are the qualifications that the apostle to the church lays out for every church, their bishop. If you remember when we started in Titus, Paul said, I'm leaving you there so that you can set in order the things in the church. So churches should be done in order, not out of order, if they're of God, and they should have a bishop, and that bishop should meet these qualifications, not half of them, not one of them, all of them, all of them. So if, um, now, you can get into a little bit of this and that. One of the bigger, listen to this, one of the bigger non-essential um, arguments is where it says a bishop uh, should be the husband of one wife, okay? Now, some people say that that's talking about polygamy, and others say it's talking about divorce, and others won't even hire a pastor if they're single because they, be, they must have a wife, right? So... That's a, that's a separate debate. That's an in-house debate. You, there's arguments for both sides of it, actually. 
and we'll look at this next time, okay? There's arguments for uh, that they shouldn't be divorced, but there's also arguments for this is speaking about polygamy. So we'll look at that next time. But then you have others like, you know, not giving to wine. That's pretty plain, cut and dry, you know? It's pretty plain. Apt to teach. These things are pretty plain. Given to hospitality, not covetous, not a brawler. Um, these things show the character of the individual that God wants as an overseer, not puffed up, right? What is, you know, it, it is, uh, it's amazing how people um, want to do home churches, but yet they don't have, you know, these kinds of people doing it. So um, a bishop is important to God's order because that's how God ministers to the flock it's it's God's plan it's not that that person you know knows more than everybody else but once you get in God's flow the spirit begins to um, manifest in a great way but when you're doing things out of God's flow you're not going to see the power of God but God is a God of order like we said amen yeah yeah there's arguments all through that stuff yeah, some people will allow divorce as long as it was before you were saved. Some people um, will allow it as long as the other person was the guilty person. Um, some don't allow it at all. Um, you know, some denominations don't allow it at all. So, and what we'll do is we'll examine the, that argument from both sides next week, and then we'll get into elders and deacons, and we'll get into the roles that women play in churches. So, how about that? And then the week after that, we're going to look at the order of a church service. So the order of a church service. Should we do communion once a month, once a year, once a week? Um, what all should be involved in a church service? Amen? Any questions? Let me get this uh, list real quick. Oh, it's okay. I got it. Aren't you glad that God's a God of order? In... And some of the things that we're going to be getting into, well, you know, Lord willing, we get to this part uh, soon, but, you know, we're going to get into, you know, things that take place at altars, what's of God and what's not, because there's some things that happen at altars that aren't of God. Not here, I mean, Lord willing, not here, but in other churches. There are things that are common in the church today where, well, think about this, what I, dressed, I dropped in you, self-control. Think about that. Think about that. In some churches, how many of y'all heard of the Toronto Blessing? Toronto Blessing Vineyard. Um, it was a big movement in Toronto um, at an airport. And one of the things, David Wilkerson, crossing the switchblade, he came out against it because people at the Toronto Blessing when they were getting touched by God at their altars, they were getting down on all fours and beginning to bark like dogs and cluck like chickens and things like that. And they were saying they couldn't control themselves, that the Spirit of God just hit them and they fell on the floor and started imitating animals. Well, that's not God. You never see one example of that in the Bible, which is indicator number one. And indicator number two is that they no longer had control of themselves, okay? So that's 
you know, important to see as we get into this and it develops. Because, you know, there's, there's church services that I was in before and I thought everything was great. But the more you study the word of God, you're like, that wasn't so great, you know. And that's okay. Let God be true and every man a liar. So as long as we stick to what God says, we're going to be all right. Amen.